Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Scared Shitless podcast. Before you begin, I would like to acknowledge the traditional custodians of the land on which we are recording today. This is, was, and always will be Aboriginal land. It's so nice to have you here. Welcome to episode 15. This is season two. We're revamped. We have the new theme song, Wasn't It Lit, and a new microphone, and we're in isolation. So I have to only have one guest because it's Ill- it's illegal if I invite anybody else over. So, Tiana, hello. Hello. <laughs> so we live together. We're in isolation together. Thank God. This coffee, <laughs> it's a lot of foam. <laughs> I just got 90% foam. That's okay. I'll go back and, and dig into that soon. But um, how's your quarantine going? Um, I have Animal Crossing, so I'm very occupied. Um, and I am, I just made a, what is it, a mood board? Yeah. A mood board um, for my room that I want to redecorate. So I'm going to order some stuff online and that's what I've been doing. So that's lit. not bad. Pretty chill. We need to have a moment to talk about Animal Crossing because... It's incredible. It's incredible. What do you mean? Well, if, if you are... If not you even a, you're not even a gamer. I've never seen you being so involved with a video game. I feel like I was when I was younger. Like, I was really right into Crash Bandicoot and, like... Well, the first thing that we had was a Sega. Yeah. Um, and, like, Love Sonic. And then... Um, and then we got a PlayStation and then I was into, like, Spyro and Crash and I've replayed both of those because they've been revamped. Um, but, like, in general, I am not. wouldn't say I'm a very, very into gaming. But, yeah, bought a Switch and love it. So, it's great. <laughs> and it took you, like... Because I work in a retail store and we sell switches and they're literally like completely out across the entire country. I think everybody had the same panic idea where they're like, I need to get a switch because I'm going to be so bored in the house. In the house, bored. Bored in the house, in the house, bored. Bored in the house, in the bored. It's from TikTok. Sorry, I had a little sidetrack. Um, and they <laughs> it's funny how I thought them. the exact same thing. Because <laughs> yeah. the all I've been doing is playing Animal Crossing and doing TikTok. Um, and so, Tiana... Yes. I think you're the last person in Australia to ever get one. I feel like I was, so that was really good. But um, one of your friends got one recently. Where'd she get that from? She was really lucky too. I think one of them randomly came in for a return, but it was only a return because they got the wrong colour or something. What? So she was super As lucky. As if anyone cares about the colour at the moment. Well, people are just dumb. <laughs> you know, they're actually stupid. So um, I was looking on Etsy before and they actually have like these really cute skins. If anyone wants a skin for their Didn't Switch. you already order some? I did, but it's like 3M tape. Sorry about the foam. <laughs> Three what? 3M tape, you know. Is that what, what it's called? Vinyl. Vinyl. I've never 3M had 3M vinyl. in my life. So it's like um, you can like wrap things and make them colour and you have to use the hairdryer to like, put it on and it's like Oh, yeah. Really Where's time for that? I want to do it. Pass That's what ink. your boyfriend does with his car. He does. <laughs> Plasti dip. Plasti <laughs> <laughs> Plastic dipping your switch. Um vinyl. That's lit. It's really good. I'll show you. You'll really like it. It's cute. I'll have to um have a look because I saw some really cute Sailor Moon ones for the Switch I really want. Yeah, but I looked up a review today on this Etsy one and people are like raving about how good it is. So <gasps> cute. Okay. Probably pastel really pink, pastel purple. Yeah. Um, it's like fifty dollars if you want the whole set or twenty dollars for the Joy Cons. Geordie sent me one and it was um cow print. But so the main switch is cow print and the sides are pink. That's I saw that one. Oh, I was so actually going to send it to you to tell so to cute. send it to her, but it's the same seller. It's really good. It has good reviews. But yeah, I think I'll order it anyway. Um, Animal Crossing is one of those games that I played as a kid, loved it. I used to sneak, like mum would come in, like go to bed, and I'd be like, all right, good night, lay down, and have my Nintendo uh, DS under, under the pillow. pillow. <laughs> and you still do that. <laughs> I still do it now. But it was just like such a good game when you're growing up because. Um, 
Everyone loves you in that game. Well, I <laughs> never played it. Um, and it's life changing. So if you haven't played it, you need to go out and buy one right now, but you can't lol. But um <laughs> <laughs> and play it. But I don't know if you if you've um if anyone knows, but James actually created a city in I his do. Animal Crossing Ridiculous. and it is like next level. I look I look at his he made a video on YouTube, so you should check it out. You should. You should. But um like that actually gives me anxiety. Like I don't know where to begin with that. It's great, love for the you, of, but I could yeah, not. That's the just, amount of time and effort I put into this island is ridiculous because I've never put any more effort into anything in my entire life. Like I thought I was going to cry at some point, like trying yeah, to do it. So it's stressful. It's, it is a bit stressful, but it's also very good if you are really bored in the house. In the house, bored, you should play it. I love it. It is probably the best game of the year so far, in my opinion. I'm going to be playing Final Fantasy very soon, which you probably don't care about. No. Yeah, didn't think Not so. Not my vibe. Um, but enough of that. I also don't want to even talk about coronavirus. No. I'm sick of hearing about it. So let's have an episode where it's just corona-free, no rona in here. Um, and the story I'm telling today is very, very long and in-depth. So I thought I would um, we would do just a quick little intro thing and chat, and then we'll get into the story pretty quickly. Keen. But is it about ghosts this time? I hope no. Because I'll leave the not. room again. <laughs> Can we just Definitely talk about not. to... Okay, so in the oh last God. episode that I was in... Um, I was listening to it back and I was very, very bland and very like, mm-hmm, 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 mm-hmm. <laughs> and so here's a story that night, like, so we filmed it late in the afternoon on a Saturday afternoon and that night we started watching a movie and I felt very, very sick mm. and then I was throwing up for about 12 hours straight. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I actually had really bad food poisoning, which explains why the I lack was of so energy. boring. So I'm sorry for that. <laughs> you weren't boring. You were just flat. I think that, Extremely. You were, sick. you were sick and that's, that's fine. Extremely flat, but I didn't know I was sick. Anyway. Until I'm back. Welcome back. <laughs> well, um, I, what was I saying? We're getting into a long in-depth story. <gasps> Correct. And yep. so... Before we get into the main story, I want to know... Well, I'm going to firstly tell you my my experience, but I also want to know your experience with religion and okay. the church. So, for me, growing up, because um, Nonna, my grandmother, before she passed away, was very, very religious. <laughs> she probably still is, not mm. if she's in heaven. Mm. <laughs> I'd say so. Uh, <laughs> like, was, but she probably still is, if there is <laughs> had a mouthful of coffee. Couldn't tell you if there is. But, alas, she was very religious. And so, it was, like, forced onto me at a very young age. <laughs> like, she, when we came to her house, she would, like, sit me by her feet and, like, would pray on the rosary and all that whole shit. Yeah. It was intense. But then... When I was like 16, she was like, you do your Holy Communion and your confirmation as in the Catholic Church and I'll give you a shit ton of money. And I was like, 100%. Absolutely. <laughs> um, and so we had to go to every, like these classes every weekend and like I would fall asleep and I hated it so much. And when I say I fall asleep, there's like four people in the class, but I still fall asleep. Um, but I can see how like it does give you a sense of community. Like I think that people who do have don't have like much of a family or friends can really find solace in their Absolutely, church yeah. whether they believe it in or not i think everybody is entitled to their own opinion my opinion is that i can't rationally as an adult as 26 year old man believe that a man ever walked on water yeah and no, did all those things i just can't imagine that can't, do I. can't rationalize it because i believe in science too much yeah but 
in terms of like a community, I totally see how that could be especially, a thing yeah. if they're preaching love and, and acceptance. You know, especially like my grandmother's the same, like your grandmother's Italian, mine's mm. Croatian. Um, and it's the same thing. Like she's very, very religious. Like I went there the other day, she did this holy water on me and the sign of the cross and, you know, like I respect her. I think it's like that European, those old it is, Europeans, yeah. it's like... <clears throat> Just ingrained. It, and we've also been through so much. It? That's that's right, yeah. And, you know, when Nonna and, like, Nonna came to Australia, I'm sure one of the first places they would have gone to is to find a church mm. because that's when you find your you people that's and you right. go find your priests and you find, like, a leader in your community and um, you find, like, other Italians or other Europeans who are in the same boat as you. Mm. So I think if you're, lo- if you're preaching love and acceptance, there's no problem. That's right. But I find my community in the queer community and the drag community. So yeah. I'm lucky I have that. That's but right. I can see that people might not have that. But see, and especially back in their day, yeah. in those, wherever they're from, in Europe and stuff like that, that, yeah. that was, that you're right. Like that was their community. There mm-hmm. wasn't, you know, so it makes sense. But, um. Did you do the whole, because I remember when I did mine, it was so scary. The only, I, I was, I didn't care about the whole thing. I thought it really was really boring, like. We'd sit there on Sunday, have a biscuit, and then be like, John came down and uh, had some lamb, something amazing. But then there was one part of the confirmation where he was like, we're going to be anointing you with, um, I want to say oil. Mm -hmm. Um, And he's like, when we do that, you might feel the Holy Ghost push through and you might fall over. And I was like, what? oh, my God. That's what he told me. And I was so scared. Um, and then I was really nervous to like get up and do it. it. Up and like, but when hmm. I did it, I was like, oh, no, oh. nothing happened. It just smelled really bad. <laughs> I thought you were actually going to say, mm-hmm. like, you felt... Mm-hmm. Oh. Well, um, my experience with religion is, as I was saying, my grandmother is Croatian. She's very religious. And Plus you went to a super like, religious school. I did. I went to a religious high school. But, like, it wasn't... Like, you know. But compared to at my school, yeah. Well, it we had to do we had to religion. say a prayer every morning. So we didn't do any of that, and we had to go to I can't even remember now. God, it was so long ago. But mm. once a week, we have to do like a mass thing, and I don't know. Horrible. Yeah, it's it's like forced upon you. But anyway, um, <clears throat> whatever you're into, I guess. But <laughs> um, but my experience with religion is like my grandma is very very religious. As I was saying, she has like crosses all through her house and. Um, that was in one of the podcasts I was talking about how it's, there's definitely things in that house. But anyway, yeah. I won't go there. But, um, like, my mum my was religious. She was, um, she was born in Australia, but obviously she was Croatian and brought up by Croatian parents and very, like, very religious. But, um, <clears throat> like, mum used to always wear, she wore, like, a necklace with a cross on it and, um, and... She was always re- religious, but, like, not overly. A bit like your mum. Yeah. Like, you know, that. Anyway, um, but when she got really sick, like, she was laying on her bed and my brother, when she passed away, was he was only 18 months old. So she said to me, like, on her deathbed, she said to me, if God was real, he wouldn't do this to me. Mm. So God's not real. And ever since then, like, that's played on my mind. And I'm like, sure. that's so true. But, like, anyway... I'm the same. Like, I don't really, I don't know what I believe in. Like, yeah. I'd like to believe in something, some afterlife. Like, I believe that there's that, but I just, I but don't you know. I'm like, just yeah. like, I'm open to it. For sure. So am I. I'm open to it. Like, I'm a lazy atheist, like agnostic. Yeah. <laughs> but like, I'm not, I'm not, I'm, what you said, like about, there was mm. no, like, you know, Jesus walking on water. No, like, God, I don't no. believe in that stuff. No. I just believe there's 
Well, I hope that there's something. I hope that it's not, there's nothing. But who are we to know? That's right. Who are we to know? Like, that's right. I don't know what I believe in, but, like, I hope there's something. That's my belief. Fair. <laughs> <laughs> I agree. I agree with that point that you made about what your mum said, because if there was a God, I know that some Christians, I've spoken to, spoken to some Christians yeah. before, and they're like, God doesn't meddle with people anymore because Noah's Ark or some shit. I don't know. Some shit about the flood. I can't remember. Oh. But, um... No, children are born with blood cancer, and that's the tea, three-year-old it? kids are di- dying of strokes, and like I don't know, I just like hear these things, and I'm like, if there was a god, I don't think like, that he'd want this to happen. And shouldn't you be punishing like bad people? Like I don't get it. And I always wonder why does Satan punish bad people if he's bad? It's, Wouldn't he want I'm to punish so good confused. people <laughs> because they're being good? Something about how- and like when bad people go to hell, he's like, yeah, it's welcome. I know. Or he's like, thank God. In that. I remember one of your podcast episodes, you were talking about this. I'm trying to remember what you said. And I, I was like, I oh, my God, like listening to it in the car, talking like, oh, my God, yeah. Like what you were saying. It was, so, um, oh. it was something about Satan. It was something about Satan. I can't remember. <laughs> and how it's something about to do with Hitler. What was it? Was I in this episode? I mean, yeah. This is slowly ringing a bell. Yeah. It's almost like, would he be going to hell and being like, yes. Or would he be going to hell and being like. That's right. You're, you suck. Because. Because he was the ultimate evil. Yeah. So was that, does that, is that what Satan, like, does, I also spoke to another Christian, they said that Satan makes people bad because he wants you to come to hell and be tormented forever. So he's supposed to, like, not be bad because of that temptation. Yeah. But then I'm like. But then it's like, mm. but it doesn't, isn't, I don't get it. It doesn't make sense to me. Like, he's doing the Satan's work. That's so right. So he'd be like, yes. He'd be like, come to me. And, and we'll... maybe it's a secret. Maybe we should be murdering each other because then we get to go to hell and, like, do whatever we want. <laughs> maybe. Whereas heaven, like, let me just say the idea of eternal life. It's terrifying. I know. Terrifying. Like, I, that's the thing, too. It's like, I hope it's not just black, <laughs> me, but also, like, like... To me, eternal life is hell. What's the deal? Because imagine going up there and someone's from there from the 1600s and they're like, I'm so fucking bored. Like, there's nothing to do here. I'm so bored. What's the point? Like, it's I just... feel like life, we get to actually, like, work towards a goal and, like, actually do things. But in that's heaven, you've got everything. It's like, what's the point? That's, that's true. Like, you get a mansion and all this shit, but, like, where's the happiness? Mm. Like, I'm going to have all my dogs that have died. No, thank you. I don't want all of those dogs <laughs> to look after. Fuck that. <laughs> like, Lofty and Gizmo up there, like, wolf high. Whoa. <laughs> Gizmo coming back to me, oh, like. fuck. I can't be. Like, I love it. I love the dog, but he had his life and I don't want to look after that's... 17 dogs. Yeah, fair. Um, <clears throat> anyway, it's a, it's a mystery, isn't it? It is a mystery. mystery. Well, the reason I ask about religion anyway is because two things. The horror film of the week oh, is... Is this going to be about ghosts again? No. Okay, good. You've seen this Demons. movie. We went to the movie to see it together. Oh. Um, but the movie horror movie of the week is based on religious aspects and the main story has a heavy religious undertone as well. And by undertone, I mean overtone. It's not hidden at all. It's a very religious thing. <laughs> so um, this week's horror movie of the week, as recommended by James from the Scared Shitless podcast, is Mother! Exclamation mark. What brings you to us? Well, they told me I could find a room here. He thought we were at a bed and breakfast. He's a stranger. Hello. Did you know he had a wife? Who are these people? They've come here to see me. <laughs> come quick. You're insane. God help you. So that was the trailer for Mother! Exclamation mark, directed by Darren Aronofsky. And I'm pr- you definitely came to cinema to see it with me. You and Carl, I forced you along to see I'm it. I'm really like trying to dig deep into my memory <laughs> bank. Do you remember this? Me. There's a photo. 
It's got Jennifer Lawrence. It's got Michelle mm-hmm. Pfeiffer. Um, it is a psychological horror film. It's not necessarily like a strictly a horror film, but it is a very unnerving, very moody um, horror film. And I'm going to go through the plot very quickly. Right. Uh. I'll cut that out. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So in the burnt out remains of a large house, him, that's the name, mm-hmm. an acclaimed poet struggling with writer's block places a crystal object on a pedestal in his study. The ruined house morphs into a lovely home in an Edenic landscape. In bed, mother, the poet's wife and muse, awakens and wanders around, wonders, wonders where him is. That's his name and that's her name. So her name is mother and his name is him. While renovating the house, she starts seeing things that unsettle her, including visualizing a beating heart within its walls and other things. One day, a stranger referred to as man turns up at the house, asking for a room and claiming to be a local doctor. Him readily agrees, and Mother reluctantly follows suit. During his stay, Man suffers coughing fits, and Mother observes an open wound in his side. So Mother is played by Jennifer Lawrence, by the way. She's the main character. Soon, Man's wife, Woman, who also arrives to stay. Mother is increasingly frustrated with her guests, but Him begs her to let them stay, revealing that Man is a fan whose dying wish was to meet Him. However, when man and woman accidentally shatter the crystal object which him had forbidden them to touch, mother kicks them out and him boards up his study. Before man and woman can leave, their two sons arrive and fight over their father's will. The older son, who who will be left nothing, severely wounds the younger brother and flees. Him, man and woman take the injured son for help. Alone in the house, Mother follows a trail of blood to find a tank of heating oil hidden behind the basement walls. Upon returning, him informs Mother the son has died. Dozens of people arrive at the house to honour the dead son. They behave in rude and presumptuous ways that irritate Mother. She snaps when they break a sink, partially flooding the house. She orders everyone out and berates him him, for allowing so many people inside with, with ignoring her needs. Their argument ends in a passionate lovemaking. The next morning, Mother announces she's pregnant. The news elates him and inspires him to finish his work. Mother prepares for the arrival of their child and reads him's beautiful new poem. Upon publication, it immediately sells out every copy. And in celebration, Mother prepares a big dinner, but a group of fans arrives at the house before they can eat. She asks him to send them away, but he insists that he has to be polite to show and show his appreciation and tells her um, he will return soon. Mother tries to lock the doors, but more fans arrive and enter the house where many begin to use the toilet. They start stealing things and souvenirs are damaged in the house, but um, but him is oblivious to the uh, to the adulation that he's receiving. Hundreds of people fill the house and an increasingly disoriented mother watches it evolve into chaos. Military forces battle a cult of frenzied fans who tear rooms apart and engage in religious rituals. Amidst gunfire and explosions, the Herald, the poet's publicist, organizes mass executions. Mother goes into labor and finds him. He takes her into the study, which he reopens so she can give birth there. The havoc outside subsides. Him tells mother his fans want to see their newborn son. She refuses and holds her son tightly. When she falls asleep, however, him takes their child outside to the crowd, which passes the baby around wildly until its neck inadvertently breaks. Mother 
wades into the crowd where she sees people eating her son's mutilated corpse. Furious, she calls them murderers and stabs them with a shard of glass. They turn on her, viciously beating and attempting to strangle her until him intervenes. He implores mother to forgive them, but she escapes, makes her way to the basement oil tank and punctures it with a pipe wrench. Despite her husband's pleas, she sets the oil alight. It explodes, destroying the crowd, the house, and the surrounding environment. Mother and him survive. She is horrifically burned while him is completely unscathed. He asks her for love and she agrees. He tears open her chest and removes her heart. As he crushes the heart with his hands, a new crystal object is revealed. He places it on the pedestal and, once again, the house is transformed from a burnt-out shell into a beautiful home. In bed, a new mother appears and wakes up, wondering aloud where him is. I remember it. How? It was a while ago. It was 2017. Okay, yeah. Yeah. I remember. I remember. Yeah. yeah. The giving birth part and the pregnant part, that sparked my memory. That movie made me feel a sort of way. It was just the most, like, it's one of those movies that you need to go home and, like, think about and read about because it doesn't, to the first viewing, you're like, what the fuck am I watching? Yeah. It's so confusing. But the entire movie is the birth of of the universe and Mother Nature and it's all got to do That's with religion. Right. Because the husband kind of represents um, man and also represents Jesus and how he brings along new life with the commandments and people following these rules. Then Cain and Abel come through and then there's war and mother is just like in between all of this chaos mm-hmm. trying to tell people to leave her house and they keep destroying it and like ignoring her and it's kind of a metaphor for like mother nature and people just That's like right. I shitting that on too. it. Yeah. yeah. And then at the end it just starts again because new life will always just start somewhere yeah. because molecules and atoms will just always keep creating. Yeah. And so like it is like one of those movies that I would watch and then I wouldn't watch it at night time because you would go to bed and have weird yeah, fucking dreams. the baby thing. The baby Ooh, thing is really aggressive. Very, and um, very... There's a lot of scenes that just make you feel really uncomfortable. So if you do watch it, just watch it like in the day. In the day. <laughs> and it's really long. It's like almost three hours long. So I remember you fell asleep at one what? part. In the movie? Yeah, in the movie. And I woke you up and you're like, it's so boring. <laughs> I was like, no. Um, well, I remember it. Yeah, it's beautiful. It was a be- it's beautifully shot. Jennifer Lawrence is incredible. I actually remember. I remember that was after. That was like on a Thursday. So I had four yeah, full days late. of work. It and it was like, yeah. I think we went at like 10. We so. would have gone really late at night. Yeah. Um, I get very tired after work, so. Well, it's a very good movie. I would give it four out of five, and I highly recommend well, that's it. High in your it is high in my mm, book. It didn't rank very well in like the critics, which I was. Um, what, did it, what did it get on Rotten Tomatoes? Um, not very well, I think. Let me double check. But I remember disagreeing with the um, with the mm. reviews, which is really weird for me. Usually, I'm all for it. It got sixty nine percent. Whereas I thought it should have got a lot higher because I. Loved every minute of it. I thought it was very encapsulating. So, watch Mother! Exclamation mark. I like mark. the meaning behind it. It's very... Yeah. It's beautiful. Symbolic. Very symbolic, very deep, and very real. Mm. Especially with what we're going through right now. I know. Like, um, I hate to bring up the fucking coronavirus, but it does make you reflect on um, the state of the world and, like, what kind of people we we are we live with, that we share the world with. Mm. Because we're showing, seeing... A lot of the bad in people, we're also seeing a lot of the good right. in people, like people being very charitable yeah. and respectful, but then you're also seeing people being like hoarders mm. and very selfish. So it just kind of reminds you that we That's have so the gift of like the 21st century with all this manufactured stuff, but we just take it for advantage. That's right. Um, anyway, 
So we're going to have a very brief break and then we're going to be back for the main story. Are you excited? I'm scared. I'm always Don't nervous. The last Joel. one scared me. This I one. think because I was sick too and it was <laughs> yeah. really, really scary. And it was like twilight. I'm com- combining the two memories and it's just like not a vibe. So. <laughs> well, it's not too scary, but it is. Um, it is. Give us a little hint. A little <laughs> it snake is one peg. of the most horrific massacres to ever occur in the 21st century. Oh, okay. Let's do it. See you soon. Welcome back to the Sketchless Podcast. I hope you had a nice break. Um, in real life, we only had about a minute. <laughs> but alas, I hope you are enjoying it so far. So, Tiana, mm. when I say the words Jonestown to you, what do you think of? Um, a little country town. <laughs> um, should I know this? Definitely. I should know what Jonestown is. 100%. I have no idea. <gasps> that's okay. Um, well, that's what I'm here for. So. No idea. Enlighten <laughs> me. Jonestown. Well, I'm going to tell you the whole story. Yeah, I'm great. not going to just tell you that. I'm, I was about to tell you a little. Re- I was about to tell you like, oh, this is what happened. <laughs> but I'm going through the entire story. Okay, so we're going to start from the beginning. It's a long one, so get comfy, everybody. So in 1955, a new church was formed. A church that promoted inclusivity, freedom of love and speech, and had a very strong sense of community. The church was called the People's Temple. That's a very important name, the Mm -hmm. People's Temple. Some people attended the church because they were in interracial relationships and were only, which I hate to say because I'm like, that's so dumb. But in the 1950s, obviously it was very taboo. But um, they were welcomed into this church and um, largely the church was very mixed between African-Americans, Asian-Americans, and then white Americans. And they all came together and it was very... It was all about love and inclusivity. It was really beautiful when it first started. Um, so the church even offered free drug rehabilitation for young people. Um, so mothers and fathers who had children struggling with addiction, they were more than welcomed into the church and they would even pay for their rehabilitation through the church and actually helped a lot of kids to get off drugs, um, which is amazing. And oh. so people like love and people even attended the church who weren't even quite necessarily religious, but they went there because the the mood and the energy of the church was so beautiful and welcoming. See, that's what we were saying before. And what we're saying before, how it's just like a sense of community and people were, you know, if you're, if you, I can't speak of a person of color, but in the fifties, I know how hard that would have been. So imagine going somewhere that people accept you no matter who you are and you're celebrated for being human being. Absolutely. Of course you'd want to be. And like back to that quickly, like we have, we're so in that sense, we're lucky that we have like social media and stuff like that because that's how we find our community. For sure. But back then wasn't like that. Absolutely not. Yeah. Like now you can go on the internet and if you are a queer person for example i'm speaking from lived experience and you have no queer community in your little town or city you can literally go on online and find one and then just chat that's right you know yeah that's amazing 
It is. So we're going to cue to Jim Jones. This man will pop up a lot. He is the man behind the church and he started the church pretty much. Um, so he was a man that particularly was very, very good at public speaking. He was extremely passionate, very well-spoken, extremely charismatic, very influential. He was literally one of those men that like get, he spoke, I'm going to like literally imitate him. He's like, and by God, I would oh, yeah. strike him down. Like one very, of, one of those. very dramatic. And like, would people would just, believe whatever he said because he was so incredible enthusiastic enthusiastic <laughs> so um so he would he would heal he would do these things that were called public healings and um he would heal headaches back aches and even would allow people to walk again um so he would literally he would literally <laughs> hold his hands out and say anybody in this room who has an ailment stand up and I will heal you from from the pedestal so they would stand up and say I can't see I'm losing my eyesight and he would be like take your glasses off and they would take them off and then the person would say I can see and then everybody would just start screaming Aww. and hollering and like going crazy um and so Jim was um he also like invited a lot of people who fought in the vietnam war because they felt a huge sense of community after ptsd and Mm -hmm. they came to the church in solace of like community um so there was jim was married to a woman named marceline and she was always on the stage behind jim and he she was always like in awe of his readings and people were always kind of like this is amazing that the wife is obviously supporting him so we should support him and she that people saw that she was obviously so enamored and in love with this man um and jim had this thing called a quote unquote rainbow family which was his own coin term and they would adopt children of all races and backgrounds no matter what color of their skin from african american to asian american as well and um but one of his son, his actual sons, well, I shouldn't say actual sons, biological sons, mm. Stephen, he didn't like this term. He thought it was just because he was doing it for the clout, mm. like the publicity. Yeah. His son was like, I see right through it. I don't think it's real. I think he's doing it just because he wants to seem like. So there's more this, to like, this. Yeah. This so man. that was kind of the first um, time that anybody close to Jim, including his family, thought. There's something going mm. on that he didn't show the Starting same amount question of it. he didn't show the same amount of love to his adopted children as he did to his biological Caucasian children. Mm. Um, so, so how many children did he have? Or he had about? seven. Oh wow, seven. So he had two biological children, one of which um, isn't really talked about, and there was Stephen as well, who's the son, and then he had all adopt other adopted children, sons and daughters mixed. Um, so Jim Jones was born in 1931 in a tiny rural, cha- rural town called Crate in Indiana. Jim Jones's goal in life was to literally just fit in because he was a very strange kid, apparently. Um, his father was was never nurturing towards Jim at all. He was actually quite um, not abusive, but very neglectful in terms of emotional. He never, ever connected with his son. And um, it was known that, he, like Stephen, the son, says in a lot of documentaries that his grandfather was very cold and didn't mm. really talk about his feelings or anything. So, um, he, Jim as a child was very, very com- complicated. Um, and he actually tried to compensate for like the approval that he never got from his father. And so in a small town, Jim had a flair for the dramatics. Like he was very into dramatics as he was as an adult. And he would recruit other kids to attend and a play funeral for roadkill like he would be like hi guys come on i'm gonna i'm gonna be the priest at a funeral for this dead squirrel and be very dramatic and he liked he was very into like the whole 
Mm. Like just over the top stuff. Um, and so after that, he would play war games with the kids because this is during the, um, the Vietnam war and world war two. So, um, he, the other kids were playing the allied soldiers, but Jim decided to play Hitler because he liked how Hitler was so charismatic and was oh, so like passionate. Okay. He didn't understand the politics behind it, but he understood that there was a man in power That's right. and people were following him. And, he and liked how old that. was he at that time? He was seven. Okay. Well, yeah. So he was very controlling and um, spent most of the time by himself because his family was never around. Um, and in his ch- early childhood years, he found himself going to the church almost every day. Um, he joined five different churches and at these services, he noticed that there was a man standing and preaching and getting every single amount of attention from every single person in that room. And so from that point onward, he decided he wanted to be a priest more than anything. Mm-hmm. Um, so at age 25, Jim Jones forms his first church in Indianapolis, and it's the first ever integrated church in the state, meaning that black and white people are allowed in the church. Um, Jim Jones's message to African-American people was very powerful, and he became a hero to the community. So during this time, the African-American community in Indianapolis were obviously very sick and tired of being mistreated by police and other people because of blatant racism Mm -hmm. and so jim jones's message of peace love and tolerance was very appealing to them um and as jim's church and preachings grew rapidly his need to grow and move on to bigger and better things also grew his family notes that jim isn't somebody that really actually cared deeply for the bible and its teachings he probably was somebody that was just hungry for power and attention so he searched far and wide for the perfect place to move and to find a new community and grow his uh, following further. So he chose California. Mm-hmm. Um, it was the perfect place to make things happen, but because this was in 1965. Um, and in this time, he was telling his followers. So what pretty much what happened was. Is this the yeah. same guy that has the children? All the adopted children. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. But you're just not telling his story. Pretty much. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Because I was getting my, confused. My, you talking about the son? No, no, same guy. Yeah, yeah. Same guy. Sorry. No, no, this yeah. is Jim Jones. That's right. Um, so I just have a very short. He had about in Indianapolis. He had about like eighty followers at this time. Yeah. And so he said to them, "There's going to be a nuclear nuclear war soon, and if you don't leave Indianapolis, we're all going to die." So pretty much all of his followers, seventy of them, followed him um, to Redwood, California. Mm-hmm. They literally. Um, wow, that's that's quite a lot of power to yeah for people, seventy people uh, to move. Well, that's what I'm saying about um, when you are a minority and you're welcomed, that's you right. just go wherever you need to go. Yeah. Um, and so this is when things got dark pretty slowly. So Jim's son, who speaks on the documentary that I watched before called uh, Terror in the Jungle, it's an eight part documentary on Showcase. I watched the whole thing. Um. They're one-hour episodes, so yes, crazy. Uh, anyway, uh, so his son. I would watch the. How dare you, Mister Cockatoo? <laughs> Can't believe you. Obnoxious. Wow. Let's just wait for them. That's to pass. homophobic. <laughs> anyway, <clears throat> so Jim's son, who speaks on documentary, which is called Terror in the Jungle notes that his father was, regardless of the love and acceptance he was preaching during his sermons, was in fact just building a kingdom for himself. Does that make sense? Yes. He was just being selfish. Yeah. Sorry for the cockatoos. Horrific. (laughs) It's 5.30, so usually like... It's like they're they're flying away and then coming straight back. Oh, it's so annoying. 
So at the new, finally, all of his followers at this new place, and it was called, uh, like I said, Redwood. Members purchased new homes and eventually started to gain wealth and money, and thus they built a new church. From there, the church tripled in size. People were drawn to Jim's preachings and sermons, especially the inclusivity. Um, like people trusted a rich white man. That so was what just- was? Yeah, what was the religion? It was a mixture of, well, that's what I'm going to get into soon. Okay. It's, it's okay. The base of it is Christianity. Yeah. But, which we'll get to in a moment. Christianity with a twist. With a twist. <laughs> um, it's literally the next paragraph. So it was around this time of growth when, within the new California um, church that Jim introduced a new ideology to his followers, the ideology of socialism. Okay. So he would scream in his service, in his uh, sermon, socialism is God, socialism is God, socialism is the higher power. And socialism, as Jim described it, was the idea that uh, that everybody should be equal within a community, nobody would be hungry, nobody would go without clothes, and everybody would share their wealth and resources no matter what. Lovely. Fundamentally, it's cute. Mm. In practicality, it's not cute. (laughs) (laughs) Um... He started to encourage his followers to live in communal living houses. For example, a small house that was built for six or seven people, he would ask for 12 or 13 to oh, live in these houses together. Right. Yeah. So they would sleep on mattresses on the floor. Um, but the the followers did not question him because they thought this was mm. like for the community and for the greater good and for God. And where did he live? That he didn't of live course. With, um, if he lived right. with his little family in a beautiful house. Mm. So the People's Temple was not the kind of church that you were like halfway in, halfway out. You had to be fully invested into it. Otherwise, you were not welcome. You were not allowed to have sex because you were expected to use that energy for the greater cause, which was like farming and building houses by hand. Mm. Um, And not to use energy for selfish reasons such as love or lust. Controlling. Very controlling. You can see it already. He just wants to control um, followers were always asked to further their in commitment to the cause and the ideology. Some people in the church gave literally everything they owned away and sold it all for the church, including their antiques, houses, and even their clothing in some cases. And the oh reason that Jim gosh. Jones wanted everybody to go communal is because he wanted to cut out the outside influences and only have everything inside Mm. you don't need to go to the grocery store we've got a farm you don't need to go to the news agency we'll go for you you don't need to go to the doctor we'll pick up your medication so basically the level of controlling is just like it's basically turning into a cult now as you can already feel it's slowly becoming into a cult as soon as you want to cut people out of the outside world that's when you become to a cult that's right he said to his followers that it was important that families were separated as well so Families would raise children that went, weren't theirs. So if you came in there with your daughter who was three, for example, they would separate you and give your daughter to another family and then you would have their daughter. What? It was a strange rule that he put in and people had to do it. So Jim wanted to, because the reason was that he didn't like the idea of anybody being called father except for him and his wife Marceline was mother. So he would refer to himself as father, capital F, and mother, capital M. Wow. So if you ever... So what did... If you got given somebody else's child, what would they call? So, same name. The name wouldn't change, but they don't say dad or um, mum. You just have to say first names. That was the rule. Yeah. Strange. But then within the community, you could still see your child. Yeah, absolutely. But you can't, um, you wouldn't raise them, though. Because they're not, because the point, the ideology that he was saying with under socialism is that nobody owns anybody. Mm. You kind of grow up as a human being. It doesn't matter where you came from. Mm. It's got to do with how you are grown. 
It's fucked. It's it's very it's it's interesting. It's though. weird. It's very <laughs> yeah. But here's the thing: it wasn't long until Jim Jones began to stray. That is when he met a woman named Caroline Leeton. Oh. Jim's children, um, Stephen, who was still living with Jim at the time, so his kids didn't have to be separated. It was only other kids. <gasps> Um, See, that's... Yeah, he noticed that Jim was coming home very late at night and he was having an affair with a young woman. She was 17. Marceline, the his wife, mother, at this time wanted to get a divorce because she found out pretty mm-hmm. quickly. Um, and she also wanted to take the kids away from Jim and the church. And this is when Jim said, quote, you will die before you take my children away from me, quote. Mm-hmm. So he started threatening Marceline. And um, this is when... It just progressively gets darker and yeah, kind of sadder I can, as it goes along. Yeah. So the population of the church grows very quickly and so does Jim's need for money because people are joining and the resources are going shit. In 1972, <laughs> the church starts bus trips around the country and this is very notorious. The temple buys a fleet of Greyhound buses. They go to big cities, attract enormous, ridiculous crowds of mixed people. Um, they get lots of money and they go back to the, and use the money um, back in California and back into the community. Um, and the thing is, like, teenagers who were on these buses and living in the community, they, they loved it. Like, they were traveling. They were with their friends. Mm. They got to, like, preach the word of God because they were very religious. And to them, it was, like, the best thing ever. As if that wouldn't be the dream when you're a teenager. Yeah. You get to travel around America and be with your friends constantly. Um, like, that was the dream for a lot of people. So Of course, they do. Um, yeah. Makes sense. Exactly. Sense of community. And what they would do, they would intentionally not fill the buses <laughs> because Jim wanted to literally go to these sermons and, and be like, get on the bus, yeah. come with us right now. You don't have to think about it. Um, and people did that, which is crazy. And Of course they did, though, like yeah. you said. Like- yeah, exactly. So two main ways of him making money were that he would get his followers to sell photos of himself with a prayer on the back, or he would ask you to give him a penny. He would bless the penny, give it back to you, and then you would pay him $20. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my gosh. Yeah. He's obviously a very smart man. He knew yes. what he was doing. He was a smart man. Master manipulator. Master manipulator. And he would say, um, I would bless that penny and I'll be in your prayers tonight. Uh, anyway, he would continue these public healings and they were very dramatic. And you can watch them on YouTube. They're ridiculous. At one of these traveling healing events that gathered like hundreds of people, one of the patrons had broken her leg and it was in the cast. And the day before, like, she broke her leg the day before. She came to this healing thing with her leg in a cast. Uh And during the service, which is on tape, Jim does his little, like, magic voodoo thing over her leg. Like, blah, blah, blah. And then cuts the cast off her leg, stands her up, (gasps) pushes her, and then she starts running through the audience. And um, she starts praising Jim and God for healing her. And everyone just goes apeshit. What? And so it was also really popular for cancer patients to come to these healing events and get their cancers healed by Jim. And what year um, was this? 1973. But okay. as time went on, people started to notice some cracks and they also noted they started to question... Can we talk about the broken leg? We were going to get to that. Okay, because <laughs> I need to know more. <laughs> so there was a rumour going around that something fake was going on and so Stephen, um... his son, decided to like look into it. And the woman that broke her leg, she was part of the church. Okay. She, she though, she was drugged the night before. She woke up with a cast in her leg. She had no idea what happened. And Jim said, you broke your leg last night. You got too drunk and you broke your leg. And But he said, don't worry, I'm going to heal you tonight at the sermon. But her leg was never broken. Oh, of course. Yeah. And so that was the moment. It's like those, you know, uh, 
believe it or not, shows. <laughs> yeah. They're, like, they're yeah. all actors. Um, myth, myth like butters. Yeah. Myth, myth butters. Myth so a woman that also Jim said um, that he healed of cancer, her cancer came back, and instead of seeking medical help, she believe she believed that she didn't pray hard enough, and she died because she was like, "Look, if he healed me once, it's obviously my fault that God wants me to have cancer, and so she didn't seek medical help, and she died." Oh my god! Um, the temple was like so. Obviously, people were like, uh, "This guy's a bit of a phony," but the temple was set up because everybody. Uh, so, sorry, the temple was set up in a way that everybody had to be checked by Jim personally. So, everybody knew him. Every single person that joined the church had to talk to him. And he would oversee literally every single detail from from people, like, coming into the church to where they lived and just knew everything about everybody. Um, and because this is, like, a lot of energy and time that he committed to the church, he would take amphetamines in order to stay awake and vigilant and... Um, the pressure was really getting to him and he fully became a fully fledged drug um, abuser. Mm. So he woke up from 5 a.m. and would go to sleep at uh, 3 a.m. And he would sleep maybe three or four hours. And whenever he did sleep, he would have to take tranquilizers because his his body was so upped on amphetamines that he couldn't get to sleep. So he'd have to take a tranquilizer to bring bring him down. Uh, he would wear, Wild. in every photo you ever see of him, if you ever Googled him, he's always wearing dark sunglasses because um, he said to his parishioners that if you look into his eyes, the, the light of God will burn you. But in reality, his oh, eyes were swollen and yeah. red because he was high all the time. Um, he would have sex with numerous young women in the church and he believed um, he would tell them it was an honor and he was close to, <gasps> and then it would get them closer to God. And he said it was God's work and that his dick was um, God's will. Oh. God's willy. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, it's horrible. But he was also a strong believer in the ideology. He, that, like, this is my absolute master manipulator. Absolutely. Very intelligent to absolutely. be able to do that. But yeah. also, it was a time where community, again, mattered. Back to the, that's really right. Mattered. So. He was a strong believer that. No matter what it takes to get to the higher power, it did not matter how to get there. What are you laughing at? <laughs> Your joke. <laughs> God's willing. <Yeah. laughs> stupid. Oh, so, um, so Jim stupid. Jones created his <clears throat> own newspapers, which he gave out in the church as oh, well. Oh, here he goes. Yep. And they're all focused on race war, poverty, nuclear war, um, because he wanted to scare his followers into believing his preachings further and further. And that if they left the church, they were going to be put into quote, black concentration camps like the Jews, which were coming, run by the Ku Klux Klan. He, 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 he told his followers Convinced, that was happening. Yeah. He, they believed that these camps were being made because of these newspapers he was creating. And because they weren't allowed out. They were allowed out, but they oh. were too scared to go out because there were um, African-American minorities being told by... But didn't you say their, you wanted to create a community where you couldn't leave? Eventually. Okay. No, eventually. Right, right now... He was the people that were in the community right at this point in the seventies. They didn't have a need to leave because yeah. he would do everything for them outside. So they didn't need to leave, and even if they wanted to leave, they didn't want to because they were scared of what was, out, what there, was out, yeah. out there. Right. So okay, in that sense, you. they couldn't leave, and that was his goal. Yeah. But they didn't want to leave. Got it. Um. So it was around this point that Jim's followers were attending sermons and services literally every single day, and it was also around this time that Ma- Martin Luther King was assassinated, as well as um, Robert Kennedy, who were both very um, human rights focused mm. people. And so he told his followers that because he was fighting for social justice, 
Um, he now too was receiving death threats for bringing black and white people together, which was false. He was saying that just because he wanted to be just on the same level That's as right. Martin Luther King and Robert Kennedy, which that was... That power trip that he always yeah. wanted, yeah. In May 1972, one Sunday service, uh, they were eating food, kids were playing, um, they were barbecuing outside the church. It was a bright, beautiful, sunny day. And then suddenly they heard gunshots. Um, everybody was screaming, crying, running around. And somebody screamed, father has been shot, father has been shot. It was like pure panic. Um, there was blood flowing from Jim's chest and he'd been shot twice in the chest. And everybody was quickly rushed into the church. They were hid, they were hiding because they were like, what if there's a gunman who's going to come in here and kill us all? And... Um, a minute later, the doors open, it goes dead silent, and the people in the church are like, we're going to die now. He's, the gunman's coming in here to kill us all. But it was actually Jim's security guard. He walks in, holding up Jim's shirt with two bullet holes in it, covered in blood, and two seconds later, Jim walks in, not a not a mark on him, and he praises, oh. praises the Lord above, and everybody goes, absolutely apeshit. And they believe at that point that he is God. Like that was the thing that pushed them all to believe that he is more than just a human being. I was about to say, did he set this up? <laughs> so later, later on, Marceline, who's Jim's wife, mother, she came out and said to somebody, she confided in somebody that the gunshots were blanks, that they were mm-hmm. fake gunshots. And the rest was just like all dramatic show. It was all fake. Um, the reason he did this was because he wanted to test whether you were a true follower um, and or if you weren't. It was like all a test, pretty much. Later that year, 1972, the church moved to San Francisco where the fame started to spread even more insanely. He convinced his followers inside a city that they were able to create social change and currently, like, in, so in San Francisco in the 70s, those hippies everywhere. So mm. people were like, oh my God, there's a church that preaches love and acceptance of all races and colors yeah. and sexualities. I'm going there. Of course. So yeah. it was the perfect place to go for him to gain more followers. And literally like it was insane. Magazines, newspapers, radio shows, like they were obsessed with the people, people's temple. They're obsessed with Jim Jones. They thought he was like the most amazing man to ever walk the earth. And um, so, but like as he continued his drug use because he was working so hard um his paranoia also grew as it does when you abuse drugs you look confused i'm just thinking i think i've watched a documentary about this oh, really the ending is the like notorious part that you might know um, yeah okay yeah keep going so he was afraid that people were going to abandon the church. So he created something called the Planning Commission. And these people were like the closest people to Jim, like his right-hand woman, man, like very close to Jim. And at these meetings, a piece of paper would be passed around to each member and they would write down rumors that they've heard or seen of people in the church so Jim could know um, what was going on. He liked, he loved gossip, I think. He wanted to control people so he knew. Yeah. Uh, he wanted to know exactly what people were saying. What they, what they were thinking. Um, yeah. So if you were called to one of these planning commission meetings, you knew you were in, like, deep shit. And yeah. it was really scary. Um, people would be called upon if they had been accused of having an affair, which is bullshit because he had many yeah. affairs. Anyway, threatened to leave the church and, like, So at like this that. point, him and his wife were divorced. No, still together. They right. never divorced. Even though... After he had the affair with He threatened to kill... And that was it. And that that. was it. She was too scared. Yeah. Yeah. One of the members of the church was called to the commission because he had his ears pierced and he was beaten to a pulp (gasps) by, like, six people. And I couldn't breathe and almost died. 
Um, another commission, a 15-year-old boy was called on for speaking back to one of his seniors during a sermon. Jim Jones, is, it's on recording, you can hear it, says, why did you do this? And he says, I was just really angry at the time. And Jim says, let the seniors have him. And he moves aside and they start beating the shit out of him. He starts yelling and saying, beat him up, kill him, like, go crazy. 15, 15-year-old boy. Um, and so when people started seeing people coming back from these meetings beaten up, people were like, okay, this church is not mm. what I want it to be. And so people started to leave. And mm-hmm. one woman, her name was Grace Stone. She was one of Jim Jones's head counselors. Like she was very high up in the church. Um, she left the church after seeing that 15 year old boy get beat up and Jim paranoid as ever. Um, he took this as like a very personal attack mm-hmm. and took anybody leaving as a very personal attack. Of course he would. And so he asked, person he is. exactly. Yeah. He asked every single member of the church to confess their loyalty to, to the church by signing a document that stated they have attempted to assassinate the president, that they have killed somebody and that they molested their child. What? The reason he got them to sign this is because he said, if you leave the church, I'm going to, these documents will go out and you, because why would you have, his way of saying mm-hmm. it was, why wouldn't you sign it? Because you love me and you love my church. That's so why right. wouldn't you sign these things? And of course they did. And, and in their brain, like they're like, well, it's the threat, but I have to do it. Mm. And so Grace, this woman, she, she signed it, mm-hmm. but she, the next morning, she literally snuck out in the middle of the night and she got in. Um, a car and she left and never came back and she moved she literally went across the state and she had to leave her son behind which was wow. like really fucked and really sad i wonder if she told her son or she, she couldn't knew. but the thing is um she didn't see her son after he was born only like every now and then throughout the day oh because he was um, taken off her like as you of were course. so they didn't have the close relationship obviously she was still very heartbroken yeah right now like in the documentary she like it's hard for her to even talk about um, so when she left, Jim used her as an example, obviously it was like, she's the sinner. Why would you abandon your church and your people and your father, which is him. And so Jim's paranoia grew further and even deeper. He wanted to test the people, the people closest to him. Okay. So the planning commission who were bashing people out pretty much, he took them to a rural church that they owned in Redwood. Um, they were all poured a styrofoam cup of wine and Jim asked them all to drink the entire cup of wine. He then said they were all poisoned and they were all going to die within an hour, but they were not to leave the church. You have to sit still and you're going to have to die quietly. Um, each of these commission planning members were like panicking inside. Like, I thought he liked us. Mm. We were high up. What's happening? After 45 minutes, um, he tells the group that he was, that he was in fact not poisoning their cups. It was not poison, but he wanted to see whether they would turn against him or not. Like that's the kind of shit he did to test oh these God. people. Um, one of them left the day after and was like, this guy's insane. I'm leaving. Um, so this is when all of them just sat there. They all sat there quietly. They did not say a word. Well, it's like for 45 minutes. I guess they're ready to die. Wow. Yeah. But they probably thought, well, I'm going to die now or if I run away, he's going to kill me. Exactly. So So it doesn't matter either way to them. They were already screwed. Yeah. Well, some of them were like, I believe this man. He's God. I love him. Mm, so that's, that's, that's a scary thing to me. Um, so it was after this specific incident that more doubt grew within the community about Jim and, and word got back to him that people were doubting his power and that he was negligent. And Jim's paranoia and fears circulated around the fact that he thought police were going to shut down the church because of the things he was doing. Um, so in 1973, Jim Jones decides to build a settlement in South American country of Guyana. Um... So pretty much he was scared that 
if somebody left the church, which they were doing, Grace, for example, and that man who was in the planning commission, and they went to a magazine and they were like, hey, he like pretended to poison us and like that he takes our children away and do all these things. He was like, if that gets out, we're fucked. So let's go to Guyana and build our own town pretty mm-hmm. much. That's Jonestown. Right. Yeah. Guyana was a socialist minority nation where people spoke English. Um, he spoke with the Guyanese government and organized a deal. And then he sent, sent out a team of people to go to Guyana to start working on the new utopia of the People's Temple, Jonestown. It was extremely hard work for the community. They cleared trees, built hundreds of buildings. The plan was to live off the land, building acres upon acres of farmland. Did he and- look, do you look very like hippie? No. No. That's Charles Manson, probably. <laughs> you thinking of? Is it? He had long hair and a beard. Yeah. He was like, he looks like Pablo Escobar. Kind of chubby, big glasses, always wearing a hat. Okay, this is not what I've watched, but it's a very similar thing. Yeah, they all have. (laughs) Um, So they built this incredible, like, actually very um, impressive thing in, like, a very short amount of time, three months. Like, buildings Mm. and, like, it was utopia, a haven of uh, free racism, filled with food. Everybody would be, like, happy. And while Jonestown was being built um, by many of Jim's followers who said it was one of the happiest times of their lives, like building this place, thought it was like amazing. Jim was still in San Francisco preaching of the new utopia, um, stating that it was a reward for all those who were truly devoted to his teachings and the church. Um, Okay, so we're getting there. I'm so sorry. I know it's really long. No, it's very interesting. Okay, great. So soon after, it's like he just—he's just like not—it's not enough. Like he'll get to this level, and then yeah, it's not enough and for needs sure, more, more and power needs more, needs more power, absolutely. Because it's like he has these people. Like, why didn't he just stop at? at he can't stop. That's what that's I mean. The problem. So he had all these people, and they were—they loved him. And like, why didn't he just stop there and just create yeah. this happy community? Like he wanted. I think he wants like, the ultimate control. He does. He wants the ultimate like. You cannot leave here. Yeah. Like, pretty much. That's what he wants. So, yeah. Because he's paranoid. It's more and more and more. Yeah. He's asking for more every time. So, an article soon came out that was written by journalists who were contacted by ex-church members, which was, like, his main fear. Um, and they were also mm-hmm. called defectors, which are people that, like, want to, like, defect to certain religions. They, yeah. He let leave us, pretty much. Um, they wanted to share their story about what happened behind closed doors. And when the articles were released to the wider community, Jim panicked, denied everything, Stating that it was all blatant lies and that you should wipe your ass at the magazines and newspapers that were being written about him. <laughs> um, and this is when Jim Jones fled the US and traveled to Jonestown pretty much straight mm-hmm. away. As soon as one article came out, he was and like, where I'm was gone. it? Where was it located? Did South America and okay. Guyana. Um, at this time, Jim was worried that his, that his followers would also believe what they were reading in the papers. So he quickly ordered everybody to drop their things, sell it, and come to Guyana immediately and to live in Jonestown with him and his community. When they arrived in Guyana, they were asked to deposit all of their money into an ATM, which was into the church account, to begin their socialist civilization. Over the next four months, hundreds of members of the church flew into Georgetown, which is the capital of Guyana, Mm -hmm. um, to join Jonestown. Jonestown is extremely isolated um, from Jonestown. There's hundreds of miles and trees between um, the two towns so georgetown is a big city so did his wife and children go with him too yeah they all went they all went um so to get to jonestown from georgetown because you can fly into georgetown which is the airport to get to jonestown you have to take a 19 hour boat trip on a river or you can um walk through the the forest jungle which is literally a jungle which would take like a day 
So it's very isolated. Mm. There's no, no electricity, nothing. It's crazy. Um, actually, there is electricity, but no TVs, no phones. Sorry. There's right. electricity. Um, there was a pharmacy, a doctor's office, a school with classrooms and many kitchens. So do people, people from his church work in there? Like yeah, how? they all came and um, he, they because they're already teachers job. and things, they all came to like work in Jonestown, live there. Yeah, right. Um, and it, it looks kind of like a... Um, do you have photos? Yeah, yeah, I'll, show if, I'll put it on the Instagram, but I'll show you what it looks like. So did they come with like a qualification? Like some so, of them did, some of them came just to live there because they wanted to be free of like racism and. Of course, um, but were then they were they then appointed a job to do? Yeah, well, if you if you came there as a doctor, they would ask you to be like the clinic person. Yeah, right. Or, so that's what it looked like. Oh. Kind of like a don't scroll it because it will show you something else. It's show very you. culty. It is culty. <laughs> um, there's also videos online uh, of kind of like the. Like the vibe, um, it's very like shanty, surrounded by jungle, hot, yeah. like this room right now. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, so I'm a little like, bit stuffy, a little is. bit muggy. Um, uh, so it was all built from the ground up with like natural and gathered materials. It was like very impressive, actually, and um, it was very isolated, which he wanted. He wanted to be That's completely wanted, isolated from yeah. everybody else. Uh, a typical day in Jonestown um, was that somebody would come to your cabin and knock on the wall with a stick at 5 a.m. Horrible. <laughs> and they would work, you would work six days a week, morning till evening. And most people were like more than happy to do that because they were like, I'm working for the cause. Yeah. I'm working for my community. It's going to be a utopia. Um, it was filled with dancing, singing, joyous parties, barbecues, the whole Like shebang. in theory, it sounds great. But mm. things shifted. Of course Very it did. quickly. <laughs> so the place was ill-equipped for Just the- like every single level that this gets to, it shifts <laughs> exactly. very quickly. Um, the place was ill-equipped for the enormous amount of people that were living there. There were about a thousand people living in a place that was built for like less than 300 people. Mm. Um, food started to run out very quickly. Children went hungry. Senior citizens were running out of medication. They were going hungry. Um, and the people were just getting used to like working, being starving. Like they were just like, it's fine. We're going to keep working. Um, you know, they were getting used to all of these like hard work hours, but what they didn't get used to was Jim's voice over the PA system, which would go across the entire town. And it was, so it started with an air raid siren, which meant that Jim was about to speak over the PA system. And then he would speak over this system incoherently, drugged up out of his mind saying that you are all not working hard enough that's why you're all going hungry um you know you have to work harder but he would be very slurry with his words and like couldn't speak clearly because he was so like out of it yeah um he would also repeat the term white knight over and over which was um that there was an extreme emergency and you had to come to the chapel immediately so if you heard him say white knight white knight you had to all gather every single person had to gather to the chapel um, under no circumstances were you supposed to stay inside. You had to go. Um, so when they heard night, white night, he would they would jump out of their bed, run quickly to the chapel, get ready. And during these assemblies, uh, there were people with guns and rifles surrounding the groups, pointed towards the group, not outwards. Um, almost like a threat. Like people with guns would like stand and listen to your master. Otherwise, mm. bang bang. 
So it was also common that Marceline, Jim's wife, would be the voice of reason, reason during these assemblies and be like, Jim, these people are tired. Stop calling them. Stop saying white knight. Let them go to bed. And he'd be like, okay, fair. Yeah. And she was always kind of like the calm between the storm. Right. Um, people so would- was it still, obviously, then there was like how many people per, like, Cabin. Cabin. Yeah, like 15, 16 oh. in a tiny little And they're room. really small. And it was boiling hot and they were sleeping on either the floor with a with a, with a piece of fabric or um, like a homemade hammock sling thing. Pretty crazy. Wow. So people were trying to escape. Not what they um, signed up for. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so people were trying to escape behind closed doors and anybody that did try and leave, they were severely punished until they were like too afraid to leave ever again. Mm. Um, in 1978, a U.S. congressman named Leo J. Ryan and his delegates visited Jonestown along with the journalists and ex-church members. Oh. So they all went to Guyana because they wanted to, A, collect their loved ones and try and get them to leave. The congressman tried to go there to be like, we're hearing these rumors about abuse and drug use and um, threats, so we're coming to make sure our U.S. citizens are being kept safe. Mm-hmm. Um, and obviously reporters like, thank God, this is yeah. amazing. <laughs> like, we're coming along. Yeah. Um, so they wanted, they wanted to see if people were being treated correctly um, and if children were being taken away by their families, which was actually mm-hmm. happening. And so Jay Ryan, the congressman, wanted to ensure that if any family members down in, down in Jonestown wanted to escape and leave with him on the plane, that he promised that, they would, that he would make it happen. But then um, he had these documents... Yeah, well, that was one thing that kept So, did him. he make every single person every sign? Every yeah, single right. person. He loved making them sign things. He was obsessed. So, like, if someone just left... They'd be killed. Yeah, but if they left with this person, with the congressman... Yeah, yeah, yeah. Could he, could, they could tell them that this is what he made a sign and, Absolutely. Like, let's Absolutely. do something about I think it. Be, I think once they got out, you have, you have a level of protection from the US government to say, like, look, that... Those documents are completely false. Yeah, and um, you are good. It's yeah. fine. But right. when you're exhausted, when of you're course. starving, when you're hot, when you are at your wits' end, you will do anything you can. That's right. To just survive at that point. Anyway, I'm just so, thinking about these people that might yeah, get taken away with him. For sure. But I totally understand why. That yeah. how you know what one day walking through the bush and they have no energy. Obviously, the yeah, summer. exactly. So a couple of days before the congressman and his group landed in Jonestown, Jim Jones allowed a small group of people. Was this unannounced? The congress? Yeah. No, so he knew they were coming and he, okay. Jim was getting very nervous about it. But he was like, well, we can use this as an example of like how Jonestown is great. And he was like, let's make sure that when they come, everybody's on their best behavior. Everything's painted and looks lovely. And make sure that you say the right thing when they interview you or if they talk to you. Mm. So you can watch the footage. See, like I was just hoping that it was unannounced so that they can Right, but you them. can watch the footage um, of people being interviewed. And they're like, this place is amazing. I love Aww. it. But it's so fake. You can tell they're just being forced to say that. And there are all these like beautiful old, elderly, African-American people that just want to live in peace. You can just yeah. tell that they are being treated horribly behind mm. closed doors. So anyway, a couple of days before the congressman comes, uh, Jim allows um, the people of Jonestown to make a small basketball team of teenagers, which included his son, Stephen. And there was a trial and tournament being held in Georgetown. So he wanted to send off the team to Georgetown to show how, like, Jonestown has this amazing basketball team. Mm-hmm. Um, Jim wanted his son, Stephen, to be like, wow, Jonestown is amazing. Stephen this- was the one that was a bit... 
bit off him at the off start. Him, yeah. Correct. Still a bit off him now. Yeah. So Marceline, um, mother, she sent off Stephen and the basketball team to Georgetown with tears in her eyes, and she knew that was the last time she was going to see her son ever, mm. because she knew when the congressman comes, something's going to happen. And I'm never going to see my son again. Mm -hmm. She knew it. She had a feeling. Mm -hmm. So she kissed him goodbye, tears in her eyes. And her son also looked at her and was like, that's something's wrong. Something's really wrong here. So a day later, um, the group, the congressman and the reporters and these family members, they all arrive in Georgetown by plane. And the team had gone. The team had left as well. So there was a large house in Georgetown where a few of the temple members lived. It's a beautiful mansion. Um, and had direct contact with Jim Jones and Jonestown via radio, like a radio thing. Mm-hmm. Um, the reason they had this big mansion was because they wanted to have like an inside in Georgetown. It's kind of like an in-between Jonestown and Georgetown. So yeah. if you wanted to go to Jonestown, you had to go to this mansion first, speak to Jim on the PA, tell him who you are, and then you'd be sent to Jonestown. Wow. Um, so in this... Uh, I'd like to see a photo of where he lived. He lived in a beautiful house. Of course he did. Yeah. Which was that... Built. It was built, built, but it was nice. Yeah, it was built for him. So the members in the house, they quickly called Jim on the radio and said, look, the congressman has landed. Um, And he forced, he said, look, like, sorry, the person on the pier was like, Congress has landed. They really want to get into Jonestown. Like, we've just spoken to them over the phone. They are, like, adamant they get into Jonestown. They want to interview everybody. Like, they're pretty much panicking. And Jim's like, holy fuck. He quickly calls a white knight thing everybody comes to the chapel and he says that they have to sign a waiver everybody in the church has to sign a waiver 800 almost 800 people almost a thousand sorry have to sign a waiver because and the waiver says they will never leave and go to america because the congressman is a liar and that the reporters are going to try and report that we're bad we're actually not blah blah, blah. pretty much uh-huh. just like panicking the next morning, the congressman was running out of options because he was like, how the fuck are we going to get into Jonestown? We can't go there. We have no idea where it is. We need somebody to bring us there. And so out of options, he literally walked into that house in Georgetown. He knew where it was. It's kind of like the embassy of Jonestown in a way. Yeah. He literally walks in. The basketball team was staying there at the time. Two young children, um, a woman named Sharon and her adult daughter named, uh, I can't remember her name, Leslie, I think. Um, he literally walks in and he's like, Hi, I'm I'm Congressman such and such. Shakes Stephen Jones's hand, Jim Jones's son. Yeah, and he's like, they have like a really good banter about like basketball. And Stephen's like, well, this guy's like, he's really nice, mm. and he's be- he's been so used to all these years of like almost like fake happiness that he didn't know what it was like to have a real man mm. um, who was like respectful and. Yeah. Funny and kind. And so the so congressman went there first. Went to this house because he was like, I need to contact Jim Jones. This is the only way I can do it, by going right. to this house. So he, so literally an hour, well, he's talking to these kids, like these teenagers and Sharon and, and all these people who were living in the house and saying like, how can I get to Jonestown? Within an hour, um, Jim radios the house and says... Um, Steven, you're coming home right now. The basketball team is coming home right now. You are not staying there because they're going to brainwash you and you have to leave. And he's like, no, I'm not going anywhere. Um, and the congressman is like really nice. And Jim's like going apes. He's literally smashing like everything, hangs up the thing. And he's like, fuck you, you mother, like you are a traitor. Um, and just going like absolutely crazy. It's so insane. Um, so how come the, there was that lady with her daughter that went? Sharon? Yeah. Why did she go with the basketball team? So she is kind of like the person running the embassy with her daughter. 
Right. So she, her name is Sharon. She's like in her mid 40s. She, she is like the in between. So she meets with people who want to come to Jonestown. She radios Jim. He trusts her with everything. And she lives there with her daughter. Who's so I wonder adult. what Sharon had to say then. She was very much like, Jim, they're, they're coming to get us. And like, was very like, she believed in Jim. She loved Jim with everything. Okay, so Stephen was like, no, I'm not going. Yeah, and Sharon and was like... what Sharon saying? Well, it was a private conversation. Sharon wasn't in the room. And mm. um, when she went out and Sharon came back in, Jim was like, you have to send him home. And she's like, he's not going home. Like, like what can I do? What can I do? He's yeah. a grown man. He's like, I think he's 21 at this time. Yeah. And um, Sharon's daughter, Leslie, she's in her mid-20s. She was there to help clean the house. She was also a strong believer in the temple. And then two young African-American children that were given to them, obviously, by... Somebody in the church that also lived in the house in the embassy, we'll call it. Um, so Raised by Sharon. Raised by Sharon. Right. And Leslie. It's just very confusing. I know. There's a lot of names. Yeah. A lot going on. No, but I'm... I'm You've got you. it. You're up to date. Yeah. The following day, after hours of conversation, the congressman and his group were finally allowed to come into Jonestown. The entire town were pre- preparing, cleaning, um, cleaning the paths, getting rid of rubbish... And there's footage of, like, um, people, like I said, being like, this place is amazing. I love yeah. it here. Um, so the congressman arrived on charter plane to Jonestown. And, and as they entered the town, Jim Jones was giving a speech to his followers about how bad the congressman is. More propaganda, pretty much like, don't trust him. Whatever he says to you, he's lying, blah, blah, blah. Mm-hmm. When they arrived, Jim was extremely nervous and erratic. He was not really answering any questions directly. Uh, and when he had questions asked to him, he would ramble about liars and power and all this bullshit. Like, just it made, made no sense. Mm. Like, the drug use had gotten so bad that he, like, couldn't even answer questions properly at this point. Um, See, I'm still surprised that he still has this control and he's pretty much high all of the time. You know? Yeah, like, well... He's not, it seems he's like so, he's not slacking. Like, no, no, no. Still- yeah, still, for sure. Um, it wasn't until like the very last few days that people were like, this guy's lost his mind. Okay. Um, but okay. So, (sighs) sorry. Um, okay. So Jim held a dance, a little dance party, like barbecue gathering thing to show like the camera is like, wow, what a vibe. This is a great place to be. And, um, one of the followers, um, his name was Bill, he slipped a note to the congressman saying, help me get out of here, I need to escape. And he had a list of names. And Monica was one of the names and a bunch of other names. And so he slips the note to this congressman. A security guard sees him oh. do it and says, you have to stay at this party and if you make one more wrong move, I'm going to take you to the yard and shoot you in the head. Oh my God. So he's like, my life's over. Tonight I'm going to die. That's it for me. Moments later, the congressman is welcomed to the stage by Jim and he's like, he gets to say a speech and he's like, come on, congressman, blah, blah. As the man gets on the stage, it's not the man he handed the note to. It's somebody else. Does that make sense? Yeah. The man he handed the note to, he thought was the congressman. It wasn't. But when the congressman gets invited to the stage, that's the actual congressman. And he's like, who the fuck did I just give that note to? Holy shit. What have I done? Um, Luckily, though, it was a security guard of the congressman and he gives it straight to the congressman after his speech. And um, the congressman approaches this man, Bill, and says, are you trying to escape? And he says, yes. And he says, who's Monica? And then he says, it's one of my bunkmates. And um, he says, tomorrow morning, we're going to get you out of here. You're going to be on the first plane out of here. Like, we're going to get you out. And um, Bill's like, no, we have to leave tonight because, like, I'm going to die. And um, the congressman's like, look, we are under U.S. Congress protection. 
you will be safe. We're going to leave tomorrow morning. We can't cause a panic. We're going to go tomorrow morning. And um, it's did, fine. Did and anybody say this? Like, did the security... No, it was all in the corner. It was very quiet. It was very, like, in the morning, we're going to go. Like, it was, like, very, like, wispy, wispy. But then wouldn't the security guard be watching him? No, it was all, because, like, at this point, um, everybody was pretty drunk. Everybody was kind of having fun. Very late at night. There was only a few people left at the party. Um, and Bill just kind of stuck around with, like, being sneaky and quiet. Yeah. He was, he was able to have a conversation quietly. Right. Um... So the next morning, so they went to sleep. Everything so was basically, fine. he said one more wrong move and I'll kill you. So Pretty he wasn't much. Gonna it was like a you. warning, but he, he said, like, if you do that again, I'm going to kill wasn't you. Wasn't he like, what was on that note? No. Okay. Fair. <laughs> the next morning, Marceline, who's the wife, showed the camera crew around. She was like very proud of um, the school and the nursery and healthcare. She was showing off the children and their education. And, and she was. Um, Saying, like, look, all these kids are having, like, reading sessions and, like, all these kids love it here. Marceline was very... She loved the children. She thought the children were amazing. She wanted to make sure that all the kids were being treated with respect. And I think that's the only thing that kept her sane. Yeah. She was a very, like, smart and very rational person. The only thing that kept her alive and that kept her wanting to be there was the kids. Yeah, right. And that was 300 300 kids. 300 children. Um, and Glad so she felt like she had some purpose. Poor exactly. Woman. And as they were filming the school and the, and all this stuff, it was during this filming that they caught on tape um, that this woman started screaming out of nowhere, and they're like, "What's going on?" And she was literally trying to give her kids to the congressman, saying, "Please take oh them gosh. away." And this was filmed, and they stopped filming. And at this point, eleven people came forward and were like, "Please, we need to leave." So it was, everyone was being really hush hush, and they realized that this is the, he was a congressman was about to leave, and they're like, "No, I can't no. let him leave without me leaving." So Bill comes up and he's like, "All these people want to leave as well." Jim Jones is like, "Cool, thanks, guys," um, oh. and it all comes out. And so the congressman. So did the congressman go, or is he like, "All right"? <laughs> so the congressman is like, he's worried because there's not enough space on the plane. Oh so he quickly God. phones the U.S. Congress and says, "We need another plane." It gets sent over immediately. Um, and he asks a few of the people to speak on camera, which you can watch. And they're like, we willingly want to leave Jonestown. Like he gets people to document it because if anything happens to them, it's all on camera. Yeah. We're all safe. Um, so the man, Bill, was escorted, escorted um, to his cabin to collect his belongings along with a few other people. Um, Bill says goodbye to his son who was there that was given to him. It wasn't his biological son, just a boy that was given to him. Yeah. Says goodbye. And then Why he left. Why take him? He's allowed. Because kids don't understand. Only Bill understands. Um, he was approached by Jim when he was getting onto the truck. And Jim says, you can come back anytime. You're welcome back anytime. Gives him a hug. But it almost seems like it's a threat. Mm. Like, you can come back anytime, but don't you dare. Because mm. I will literally kill you. Um, so Jim looks very broken, very angry at this point, And the journalists were like, obviously. But he's trying to look happy. Yeah, he's definitely trying to like hide the fact that he's freaking out mm-hmm. journalists were living they're like holy shit lots of people want to leave of this is course. amazing they and because love that. yeah exactly that story um and jim knew that the people were going to be the downfall like as soon as they left they were going to tell the world yeah. so jim's like freaking out what am i going to do um and so he like start, started to lose the plot like literally losing his mind just before the truck with the people um were leaving, like, 11 people on this truck were leaving, including Bill. Another man named Larry Layton quickly jumps on the truck, and Bill's like, this man is very close to 
um, Jim, I don't think he wants to escape. And he's really sus on him. He's like, I'm telling you, Congressman, like, this man does not want to escape. Like, he is on this truck. Jim has told him to get on this truck for a reason. Like, please keep an eye on him. I'm really scared. Yeah. And his name was Larry Leighton. Um, so as the truck's pulling away, the congressman's like, I'm going to stay here and, like, I'm going to wait and see if anybody else wants to join the escape. Uh-huh. Because if 11 people have stood up now, imagine how many other people that we haven't talked to yet maybe yeah. want to leave. Um, and literally as he's saying this to Jim, a knife gets pulled on him by one of the members. He holds a knife up to his throat and said, and tries to cut his throat. And Marsling quickly grabs the man with the knife and pulls him away. And um, Congressman's like, holy shit, okay, I'm in danger, I need to leave. So he literally runs after the truck, jumps on the truck, and he's like, okay, guys, we're going. <laughs> like, it's gotten to it. And the journalists, like, they have to run. Like, they barely make it to the truck, and they all leave as well. So they luckily got, like, 11 people out of there. Um, so Jim quickly radios Georgetown where Sharon and Lucy are and the basketball team. And, um, he says to them, it's time. It's time. Wow. It's time. And so Sharon knows immediately what that that means, what it means straight away. Um, she, then he calls white Knight over the PA in the afternoon and they all report to the pavilion, every single person over 900 people. Before the meeting, um, Jim starts giving his final sermon to the people, which I'll play for you. Um, I'll play for the podcast people listening now. Yeah. But I will. I want to pre-warn anybody listening. It is very. It's not. It's. Uh, it's. It's trigger warning. It's trigger okay. warning. It's um, very graphic. Okay. What I'll say. Um, Jim Cobb is laying on the airfield dead at this moment. Remember the, the, the uh, Oliver woman said she she come over and kill me if her sons wouldn't stop her. These, these, these are the people, the peddlers of hate. All we're doing is laying down our life. We're not letting them take our life. We're laying down our life. We're taking their lives. We just want peace. All I'd like to say is that my, um, my so-called parents are filled with so much hate. And treachery. I think you, you people out here should think about how your relatives was and be glad about that the children are being laid to rest. And all I'd like to say is I thank Dad for making me strong to stand with it all and make me ready for it. Thank you. I can do them all the children taking a drink to, take, to go to sleep. That's what death is, sleep. Of it. I'm tired of it all. Loving thing he could have ever done, the most loving thing all of us could have done, and it's been a pleasure walking with all of you in this revolutionary struggle. No other way I would rather go and give my life for socialism, communism, and I thank Dad very, very much. That uh, Dad's love of mercy and goodness and kindness and bringing us to this land of freedom, his love. His mother was the advance, the advance guard to socialism. And his love and his mercy should go on forever, on for the field. Where's the vat, the vat, the vat? Where's the vat with the green sea? His love should go on forever, on the field. And thank you, Dad. The vat with the green sea in, please. Bring it here so the adults can begin. Egg you, don't, don't fail to follow my advice. You'll be sorry. You'll be sorry. That we do it and that they do it. 
us trust you, you have to step across. We used to think this world, this world's not our home. Well, it sure isn't. As we were saying, it sure wasn't. Yeah. We don't want to tell them. I mean, all he's doing, if they will tell them, assure these children. Can some people assure these children of the relaxation of stepping over to the next plane? We've set an example for others. We've set 1,000 people who say we don't like the way the world is. Take our life from us. We laid it down. We got tired. We didn't commit suicide. We committed an act of revolutionary suicide protesting the conditions of an inhumane world. So you just listened to the last sermon and pretty much, I'm sure you gathered that they are planning a mass suicide. So, before the meeting, an enormous amount of potassium cyanide and tranquilizers were mixed with Kool-Aid, and Jim Jones gives his final sermon, which I just played. Larry Layton, the man on the plane, Jim says to his sermon, he is going to shoot the pilot when they're in the sky. The plane is going to crash into Jonestown, so we have to all be dead before that happens. And he convinces everybody that that's the truth. As the plane is boarding... Is this, sorry, is this the guy that got on the plane? You know, that Leighton guy yep. who's like, he's sus? Yeah. Jim says, I put him on the plane, he's going to shoot the pilot, they're going to crash okay, into Jonestown, okay, we're okay. all going to die. Um, as the plane is boarding, a tractor filled with men arrive at the airport, and they're like, what the fuck is going on here? Um, the defectors were pat down, make sure they weren't holding any weapons, and the man who was... Um, so Leighton, who was uh, talked to, who I talked about before, he was pat down by the congressman himself, and they couldn't find anything on him, and so he was put on the plane with Bill. Um, and as the plane is taxiing, the men on the um, tractor jump off the tractors, start shooting. They kill, they murder the congressman. Three of the journalists are murdered and Whoa. two of the survivors are murdered. And one of the family members who came to collect their family were also murdered. Um, Larry Layton pulls out a gun from his shoe, which he was hiding, shoots the pilot in the head. They didn't find it in his shoe. They didn't find it. Shoot the pilot in the head. The plane crashes into the jungle. It was just taxing. It was just moving. Yeah, yeah. Bill manages to tussle with Larry and push the gun away, and then he escapes and runs into the forest, and he actually lived. Um, so there were only a few survivors from this, so, like, five people survived, and 11 people were murdered. Um, so back to the final sermon in, in Jonestown. Some A woman actually put her hand up and said, I'm not ready to die. Um, so he was saying that the plane was going to crash into the town, which was and a kill blatant everybody. lie, a blatant lie, yeah, right, complete lie. He yeah. knew that he knew that the people on the tractor that he sent were going to murder them anyway. Okay, yeah. So he knew that they weren't going to even get into the sky, let alone, you know. He said he wanted to make sure the congressman was dead. It was just a power trip. Kill this man for ruining my life. Mm. So a woman put her hand up and she was like, "I don't want to die. There's babies here as well, and like if there's life to live." then there's always hope. That was her belief. I just and don't know what. Of course, he's always... People like that are always going to have people that are loyal to them and yeah, as evil exactly. as him. But, like, I'm so, like, why would anyone do that? Like, exactly. Yeah, and then anyway. when this woman put her hand up, he would use his words like, "There's people are cruel. There's no point to this. They're trying to they're trying to destroy our utopia. Um, they're all against us, blah, blah, blah. But it's not a utopia, and everybody knows that. Exactly. <sighs> he announced the congressman had been murdered. He then um, lined up forced to line up with people with by men with guns so they were like line up or you be shot um children first they were forced to take a liquid via a liquid syringe in their mouth one by one 
Marceline panicked. She was like, please don't kill the children. She was like tr- literally restrained. Um, um, but she was eventually pulled away by security guards. She was literally screaming at the top of her lungs, which you can hear like, on the recording. Aren't the security guards know? Don't they? Don't they know they're gonna die too? They love it. They want to die because they're like, this man will bring us to God. Uh, this we're dying for the greater good. If we, right, yeah, we've course. tried everything we can. So, um, so after just, the children, I just, I just can't comprehend that. I know. After the children are lying on the ground, screaming in agony, you can hear them on the recording. Which I, I'm sorry if you had to listen to it, but. It's really horrible to listen to, but they're screaming in pain. Um, then it's teenagers after that. And then the adults, they also drink from a styrofoam cup. Um, if anybody didn't want to drink the liquid, which about 30 people were of course. saying they didn't want to, they were held down and they were injected with a syringe with a liquid because they were resisting. And from there, they would lie down in rows and eventually die. Um, and back at the embassy where Sharon is, she stabbed the young two children to death and then she went into her bedroom with um leslie her daughter and they slit each other's throats what that was when he said like it's time, it's time. she knew exactly what to do only an exceedingly small daughter. amount of yeah even the daughter she was very big believer yeah. in it and um only a very tiny amount of people survived some ran into the jungle and what about some the basketball team? they all lived all of them including steve and the son he lived too. Wow. And he tells the story in lots of documentaries. Um, one 76-year-old woman <laughs> makes me cry. Like, she's the most beautiful. You see, if, you can see the pain in her eyes. She's just like this weathered old woman. She's 76. When he called White Knight, she hid under her bed. And she stayed there for six hours. And when she came out, she walked through and just saw Everybody. hundreds and hundreds of dead bodies. <gasps> so... Marceline, Jim's wife, she was forced to drink from one of the cups after the children were killed. So she tried to stop them from, from the children from being killed. And after, um, sorry, she wasn't forced. So after the children were killed, she willingly was like, I'm drinking it. Just, I'm yeah. done. I give up. I don't care yeah. anymore. Because um, that was her, that was her reason for living, yeah. wasn't it? And to top it all off, Jim did not drink the poison. He asked one of his security guards to shoot him in the head. <sighs> Pathetic. Yeah. Peasant. Coward. Absolute coward. Um, This all happened because Jim Jones did not want the story to get out about what happened in Jonestown. People are still suffering about what happened in Jonestown today and still plagues people and they feel like they were helpless. 908 people were killed in the Jonestown massacre, including 300 children. Larry Layton, the man that shot the pilot on the plane, was jailed for 18 years and he was released in 2002. And he lived. He lived. Oh. Each of the people that were in Jonestown and were able to escape now have happy and fulfilled lives. It's a terrifying thing to imagine that one single man who was once a small boy that attended church almost every single day, played funeral games with his friends, was able to convince almost 1,000 people to kill themselves. That is the story of the Jonestown Massacre. I'm exhausted. (laughs) I'm exhausted, Tiana. Yeah, that was insane. Oh. I did not. That is not. No, that's actually, not how I expected that to end. Is I really thought. Well, it was called the Jonestown Massacre from the beginning, but <laughs> I need to show you. But I was really convinced that's not where it was going. Wow. I'm going to show you a excerpt of the final speech because you you only get to hear it. And like he for, to be able to do that, I just mm. to be able to kill that many people. Yeah. The thing is, um, 
And yeah, still, well, like I said, like he was it's me. high a lot of the time. Yeah, I yeah. find it so bizarre. It's, to me, it's Hitler. It's the same story. Absolutely. To me, it comes down to a man that is so obsessed with their power own and a like powered ego power trip. mixed with drugs that just fuck with your head. Um, I just, I cannot, I, wow. You can't comprehend I it. I can't comprehend it. How can one person do that? And um, so I'm going to show you a photo, which I'll post on the Instagram. This is an aerial shot taken um, after the event. It just shows you the mass. They're bodies. Like, they're not even... There's oh. just an unimaginable amount of dead people. What? How did... How did they... Is it still there? Like, the building? No, it's all gone now. All gone. It's fucked. That would be I a very eerie, eerie, oh, eerie dark place. place. Dark place. Is it still... Is there, is there built Like... I'd say it's all demolished now because of what happened there, but... Um, there's just all these like really horrific photos of just bodies upon bodies. And like this photo really just shows you like. That's a lot of bodies. It's, it's unimaginable how many people have died. Um, it's the children that get me. There's photos of like babies and it's just so fucking sad. And, um, like this image here is like probably one of the most striking images. It's a parrot, a macaw, um, just sitting there in paradise. It's like a bird that represents like paradise and like, and like peace. Mm. And then you've got the dead bodies right next to it. It's kind of like this ironic image. It is very ironic. Um, but yeah. It's a very clear color image, isn't yeah, it? Yeah. They restored a lot of the photos to make them. Okay. Yeah. Well, you know, I'm sorry that was such a downer, but I remember reading about it when I was a teenager. And it's always stuck with me for like a long time. So I really wanted to like know every yeah. detail about it because it's such a huge story. It's, and it, it's very. And I didn't even scathe the eight episodes I watched. Like there is so much more detail of about how he actually I'm got going there. To watch it. It's insane. What's it called? Um, it's called Terror in the Jungle. Okay. Um, but you I'll show that. you his speech. I can't believe it. Who filmed this? Who recorded it? They did. They recorded it. No other people lived and loved. We've had as much of this world as you're going to get. Let's just be done with it. Let's be done with the agony of it. People are clapping. Loved him. So some people wanted to die. Absolutely. No more pain. That's the kids. They're going first. That's what death is, sleep. Mm. Yeah, but I'm tired of it all. If you don't, don't fail to follow my advice, you'll be sorry. What do you say? If you don't take my sorry. advice, you'll be sorry. Do we do it and that they do it. I'm like getting sad, like getting emotional. Yes. <laughs> I hate hearing like kids getting hurt. And I'm just like, when you hear the story, you're like, wow, it's really sad. But when you hear kids screaming, you're like, this is just, yeah. this, how can this, how can this happen? Like how, how can one man have so, so much power? a thousand people there, like, yeah. but they were brainwashed, weren't they? And they were, and because now I'm thinking like, guards, why like, didn't they, why were they clapping? But then back when you said only 30 people said no. Yeah. 
and that's yeah. not very many. People were people were ready to put their life on the line for this man because they believed, you know, for so many years. People, most of them were there since the beginning. They that was their family. When you hear the same preachings every day and you're around the same people every day by the same man every day you believe anything he says it's like almost like imagine if one day i woke up and i was like tiana yeah if i don't eat this hot dog i'm gonna die and you're like okay i get it but like do it i guess yeah like you would just you would believe me because like you know me and you know and you trust me yeah so (laughs) strange example but yeah no but that's yeah they've been there for so long and that's what they're used to and that's exactly. what they believe. So, of course, yeah. they're going to... Wow. Wow is all I can say. <laughs> wow, wow, indeed. I'm so intrigued. I just can't comprehend it. I need to know more. I'm going to go Well, watch if you want to watch a documentary, it's documentary. a showcase original called um, Jonestown, uh, Terror in the Jungle. It's eight episodes. They, It is incredible. It's very, very well made. They interview a lot of people that were in Jonestown that are still alive today, um, including Stephen Jones, who's the, the son of Jim Jones and uh, yeah, it's probably one one of the most notorious cults and mass suicides of all time. And um, that is a story. And thank you so much for listening. <laughs> Go do something happy after this because that was a heavy one. Okay. And thank you, Animal Crossing. Thank you, Tiana, <laughs> for joining me. I love you. Love you. And um, I'll see you next week. And we're gonna be uh, just getting getting real spooky next week. I'll tell you what, I got some fucked up shit. <laughs> Bye, everyone. (laughs) Bye. (laughs)